Just staying in a place of worship, I'm going to read to you the first few verses here on this orange uh, sheet. If you want to grab one and follow along, great. If you want to keep painting, great. If you want to just listen and close your eyes. From Isaiah 55, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Why spend time on things that don't fill up our soul? <laughs> Why invest in stuff that doesn't have eternal value? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. So Lord, tonight we come to you and we are thirsty. And we come to this place and this time with these people. But what we really, really need is a drink of you. And God, we don't have money. We don't have the currency of heaven. We don't have anything that can earn for ourselves the living water that could fill up our parched souls. And yet you say here that there's nothing that money can buy that would do what you can do. And you say, come, take your choice of wine or milk. Those are both good choices, God. We like those choices. We like free. Thank you for the way that you freely give to us. May we be your daughters who freely receive. Even when we don't understand why you're so giving, even when we can't see how it's coming, even when we sense a change in our life and we don't actually know what shifted or changed, but we sense new hope or we sense new life or we sense new energy and we know that you have moved, that you have given us something for free that we did not earn ourselves. So we come to you tonight with our ears wide open, God, not just open to whatever I'm going to say, but open to what you want to say to us. Because God, you are the one who can truly speak your spirit to our spirit, things that no human could communicate to us. So God, I pray that this would be a room full of your presence, full of your living water, full of your unfailing love, full of what each of these women need. God, we each came tonight for a reason. Would you meet us in that place? Would you meet us in that reason? Would you meet us in the place that we came from? Meet us in ways that we can't even understand. That we might find that we have been filled with something that quenches our thirst. In your name, Lord, amen. So, we bought a puppy. And I don't have any pictures. She's really cute. Take my word for it. Uh, here's how this happened. Um, I had dogs growing up. My husband and I have never had dogs. I've had really, really good reasons to not have a dog. Number one, we're never home. Number two, we have no time. Number three, who needs more stress and who needs more work? I have three children. That is plenty. As a matter of fact, um, my Enneagram type, how many of you know the Enneagram? 
So it's one of those personality type things. You know, Myers-Briggs is all those letters and the disc is something else. And there's one of them that's like a golden retriever and a beaver. And, you know, you've seen him through the years. This one is numbers. Uh, the number one is a perfectionist. And um, I actually get an email, a daily email in my inbox, specifically to people who are ones on the Enneagram. And it gives us a little tip of the day. And one of the things that I've learned from my tip of the day over the last couple years is that ones are driven to be sensible, level-headed, reasonable, objective, with a quest for perfection. Puppies do not fit into any of those things. So about two weeks ago, when I walked into lunch with a friend and she had an adorable puppy in her purse, I was like, oh, that puppy is so cute. Where'd you get her? I'm not at all interested, but what's the breeder's number? <laughs> Call the breeder. I'm really not interested, but do you have any left? Oh, you do. We are really probably not serious, but can we come meet them? And the rest is history. You know this. Well, the path, the path to health for a one who's really kind of stuck in her sensible, level-headed, reasonable, and objective word, world with a quest for perfection because ones tend to repress their irrational nature and their instinctual impulses and their personal desires, well, the path to health clearly is a puppy. <laughs> because when you have a puppy, you cannot conceal your irrational nature. And you cannot stick with everything being perfect. And the, a path to health is the spontaneous arising of instinctive response to life. When I started thinking about a puppy, I said to my husband, I know this is crazy, but what do you think? And, and the conversation progressed. And at one point, I kind of prayed about it. I said, dear Jesus, please don't let me do anything stupid. And, and Jeff said, I'm pretty sure he gave us free will, and I'm not sure he answers the don't let me do something stupid prayer, uh, because maybe that's the free will thing. And I was like, okay. So, you know... I think that's my phone ringing. <laughs> Thought I had it turned off. Look at that. It's the ringtone from my husband. He's telling me right now what the puppy's doing. No, I don't know. <laughs> and I kind of thought, you know, I tend to be a person, I love to listen to God. I have a sense sometimes that God is saying something. Sometimes it's a really clear sense. I would say, God told me this. And other times it's like, you know, it was kind of a nudge. Maybe God, maybe not. So in the midst of all this, I kind of sensed just this by the puppy. And I'm like, is that just my desire or is that God? And he stopped me in my tracks. And he said, what's wrong if it's your desire? Have any of you ever argued yourself out of something that you wanted because it wasn't rational or it didn't make sense or maybe you were bad for wanting it or maybe you felt selfish? What if God uses our desires to show us what's next in life? Now hear me, when we start talking like that, there are guardrails on our spiritual walk of scripture and godly people that we talk with. So if your desire is to go become a really, really good thief who never gets caught, that doesn't fit within the guardrails of wise friends and scripture, okay? But within the realm of what is godly and what is allowable, how often do we as women talk ourselves out of and argue ourselves out of something because, well, it's just what I want and maybe it's not the right thing? We'll come back to the puppy later and come back to this train of thought later. Here's where tonight's talk started about... Well, it was February, 
I was at a worship night at church. And uh, for me, when I come to church, um, how do I, never mind, no self-talk, just say it. Um, I'm on. This is where my job is. And so when I come on Sunday mornings, I'm on. When I'm in the halls around here, I'm on. I love this place. I love these people. I love being with you. I have found it difficult after seven years of being on staff to come into our worship center and actually worship because my mind is going here and there and, and it's just... And, I just find it difficult to worship. So I arrived to this worship night, which if you haven't come to any of those, the next time they announce one, they are really, really worth coming to. It is a really sweet time of just sitting in God's presence and being with his people and kind of more free flow than what we can do on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. And so I walked into that one with my husband. I took a quick look into the room and I thought, I can't just sit in a pew of people tonight. I have to have space. So I said to my husband, I'm going to go on my own tonight. I walked up to the balcony where there was nobody except like two sections away there was somebody. And I just sat in the balcony and I was present with God. And I began to wrestle with God about um, some of the things that have been rising in my life in that season because I had really been struggling with my stuff. So my, um, you guys, if you've been around, have heard me talk about my stuff, but when I'm in a overwhelmed, stressful, exhausted place, I go to books, media, Netflix compulsively. So 2 a.m. is really regular for me when I'm in a bad place. Hard to get out of a bad place when you're that tired, right? So that's where I spiral to. So I'd been in that spiral for a while and I came to the worship night and I just began to sit with God with where my soul was at and he began to gently allow me to see how many life-shattering, weighty things were going on in my world. And to just be kind to myself and to sit present with him as I ticked off, my mom died in January. My relationship with my dad is changing because my mom died. My son is struggling with his basketball season and when your children are hurting and you can't fix it, it is agonizing. My husband and I have been in an intense conversation for about seven months that just is weighty. And there was one more that I don't remember. And I sat with God with all those weighty things and just felt the freedom to be in his presence, giving myself space to acknowledge that my life is in a weighty, weighty spot. And that's all. Just sit in a place of worship and acknowledge that. And from that place, I was able to walk in grace with myself and permission so the next time I was sitting down with my computer rather than beating myself up I could say you know what there is a really reasonable reason why I am checking out right now and yet is it time to you know implement the self-discipline and quit sitting here okay so this is where I'm at when I land at my spiritual director's house uh, in February-ish, and I begin to talk with her about, I'm really spiraling into my stuff that I do when I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm exhausted and I'm emotionally spent and my brain is too full, and, and yet God is showing me grace for that and I'm understanding why I'm going there, but yet is it time to just be tough on myself and get off the couch and, and I get into this spiral that I get with her and she kind of stops me and she said, so... You don't, am I hearing you say you don't really know what you're supposed to do? And I said, actually, what you're hearing me say is I don't even know what I'm supposed to feel. I don't know what I'm supposed to think. I don't know if I'm supposed to be self-disciplining myself or loving myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, and she said, what happens if you just say to God, God, 
I don't know how to be right now. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I don't know how I'm supposed to think. And I don't know if I'm sinning or if I'm winning. You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm pretty lost right now, but I love you and that's kind of all I have. That is a conversation with God that is outside of my box of understanding. Because generally with God, I want to, it's kind of this funny thing. We say that, that, that we don't know, like we can't fix it, I can't fix myself, I need God and all those things, but somehow I've grown up with this belief that I need to know what to pray in order to tell God how he needs to fix me. And that's kind of how I fix myself. I fix myself by understanding what I'm supposed to ask God to do. And so I do a lot of thinking and logic and making lists and figuring out and digging deep to emotional roots and, okay, God, I know this and I've learned this and so you and I need to do this. And, and I've just come to a place in the last four months that I don't know what I'm supposed to do to fix it. And I don't know what I'm supposed to ask him to do to fix it. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. I am completely lost with my own ability to know what my life is supposed to look like right now and what I'm supposed to feel about my life right now. And my friend says, what if you just tell God that? And that's your prayer. God, this is all I got. <laughs> so I sat with that for a little while and I was having another conversation uh, here at church with um, somebody who has been in on some of the weightier pieces of my life. And uh, I was in his office and he was just asking me, we were talking ministry stuff. And then he said, how are you doing? I said, it's hard. I'm, I'm slogging through on the surface. I can do what I need to do every day. I'm not depressed, but right under the waterline is a deep, deep sadness. And it's with me all the time. And sometimes I bump into it and I just have to be sad for a while. And the sadness, yes, it's about losing my mom and it's about so much more. And uh, he said, could you invite Jesus into that? And his one sentence word and my spiritual mentor's concept came together into what has become a breath prayer for me. So over the last few months, when my... Um, when my personal insecurity rises, when my schedule stress rises, you know schedule stress? Somebody says, can you get together? And you say, oh, sure. And you need to text them right back about when, and you go to your calendar and you go, <laughs> this is a good friend. I want to see her. I can schedule you in August. That's my schedule stress, okay? So when the <gasps> rises, my kids need rides here, there, the juggling Everything's working, but how many texts? There was a day that it took 21 texts to figure out the track carpool and 15 texts to figure out something at work all in a half an hour, and your brain just goes, right? So when that kind of stress rises, when the sadness rises, when confusion rises, when fears about my capacity or fears about my competence rise, I just have this breath prayer. Jesus, I invite you in. I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't know what to look for you to do. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know what you can do. But here's where my soul gets stuck, and so I just invite you in. And multiple times a day, this prayer has become this place where panic, fear, confusion, sadness, insecurity, jealousy, um, shame, they rise, and I just stop, and I notice what's rising, and I say, Jesus, I invite you in. And what this breath prayer has done is 
I can release whatever it is that was rising, knowing that he sees it and is dealing with it, and I can go on with my day. Let's just pause and read a little bit more from Isaiah 55. Starting in verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. I it will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. This reality that when you and I bump into things that we can't understand, we're actually bumping into what God knew we would bump into. God wasn't asking us to be smart enough to figure it all out. He was asking us to depend on him and that when we, in the mystery of the way that grain grows or produces more seed or can become bread, in that same way, God's word goes out and it never returns empty. It always produces fruit. And so this little prayer that I had begun to breathe out as just a desperate plea for God, this is all I have. I can't figure it out anymore. Began to bear fruit. And I remember one day, I, um, something had happened in my work world, and I came home, and I told my husband, and I said, I was more bold today than I've ever been before. That was kind of mysterious. Wonder where that came from. <laughs> and, and a few days later, I thought, you know, my soul has a little bit more hope than it's had in a long time. I wonder where that came from. And the, there were three or four of these little things that I noticed. You know, the day just seems to be a little bit brighter than it's been in a long time. And finally, I went, oh, <laughs> that breath prayer. I've been inviting Jesus into things, and he has been moving and transforming and changing and doing things in me and in the spiritual realm that I can't see and I don't understand. I don't know what changed. I can't explain to you what he did. What I can explain is that my spirit is in a lighter place, I have more hope than I've had, and I have more grace than I've had, and I bought a puppy. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Well... When you have a puppy, you don't get to sleep in till 10 o'clock in the morning. You get up. And because you don't want your puppy to wake up everybody else in the house, you go walk a mile to help the puppy calm down before you bring her back to the house. And it happens to be early enough that you're taking a walk at sunrise every day. And that's not really quite enough because she won't sleep through the night. So you go and you take another half mile walk at sunset so that the puppy will sleep through the night. And you do this four or five or six days in a row and you go, Yes, this is hard work, but I'm healthier. There's something moving. There's something shifting. You know, it's crazy. Um, when you have a puppy at home, you don't get to just sit on the couch for three hours and watch a movie. It just doesn't happen. Now, is the puppy what fixed me? No. But is opening myself up to something unpredictable, something against, something that challenges my personality pattern, something that stretches me beyond what is comfortable, that is one of the ways that God affects change. So if you're the kind of person that likes a point-by-point -point message, that's point one. 
This is not a point-by-point -point message, but that is point one. One of the ways that we can walk in this life when we are in a place that is beyond our understanding, that we can't see or we're not sure what our next step is, is to lean into something that challenges our default way of functioning. So if your default way of functioning is to make lists and to have words and to talk and to all this kind of a thing, then this paint was really hard for you. Why in the world did she bring paint? Like, nobody's paying attention to her. They're all still painting their papers. You're like linear, and this is not linear at all. But if your way of processing is like, it's all good, and it's all organic, and it's all beautiful, you might want to pick up a pen and take that piece of paper that you just painted and start writing some words over it. <laughs> Lean into a different way of processing than how you usually do it. If you're usually super cautious and making sure that all your ducks are in a row, what would happen if one day you woke up and said, I'm going to do one spontaneous thing today? I'm going to do one thing today that was not on my list. And what if you're a super spontaneous person and you said, today I'm going to make a list and I'm going to follow it and just see how I feel at the end of the day. See if I just self-destruct, right? Because there are times that we learn about ourselves more than we could have learned or that we are challenged into, it gets us out of our rut to do something out of our normal pattern. Call a person you haven't called in a while. Pick up the Bible and read it if you haven't read it in a while. Put the Bible down and don't read it tomorrow and go for a hike instead. See what I'm saying? Just lean into something that's a little bit different. One of the things that has been influential to me in the last five years in these areas where I don't understand or I don't have words for. Now hear me, um, I am a word person. I have words for just about anything. So when I bump into something that I really can't explain or understand or wrap my brain around with words, I kind of freak out. I don't have words for this, my life is falling apart. I was talking with a friend about five years ago who's an artist, and she was just talking about how she can, with line and color, express things that she doesn't have words for. And I noticed that and went, I think that's something I need. And I began taking art lessons from her for a couple years, and I've got an easel in my house that I just paint on when I feel like it, and I just paint what I feel like. I remember one day that I painted with a lot of black, and my husband came home and went, oh, that's how you feel today, because it was these big, bold, black everywhere, like, rah! And um, other times I've, I've painted, and I, and I paint over the same canvas. I'm not working on a product. I'm, it's a processing place for me that when I can't quite get my words out or I feel drawn to something that is not understandable, I'll just go get my paints and start messing around and see what happens. What I've come to understand is that this is the difference between right brain and left brain. And I'm not a scientist and I'm not a right left brain theorist, but I've been fascinated by what I've learned by right brain, left brain. So did we get the right brain, left brain image? Did that one make it? That one I did get to the right person, sort of, by Sunday night-ish. Um, so, okay. So you might have seen this on Facebook a while back. Ignore the 35%, 65%. That was just somebody's result from the screenshot I took off of Facebook, okay? So if you haven't ever heard about brain science, your brain is certainly connected, but the hemispheres have different kind of roles and functions. And the left brain is more of the analytic, rational, objective, symbolic, math, digital order, okay? The right brain is more of the instinct, art, 
emotion, imagination, memory, creative music. And you'll see that the person who put this together kind of put it with a lot of color on the right side and kind of more detail and specifics and kind of gray and black here on the left. Now, the left brain controls the right side of our body, um, kind of the reason why a lot of us are right-handed. Right brain controls the left side of the body, and different people lean different ways as far as right brain, left brain. One of the things I was learning about myself, um, matter of fact, I was with my counselor one time, and she, sorry, this story, time, yes, we'll do it. Uh, when I meet with my counselor, one of the things she does is EMDR. How many are familiar with EMDR? Okay, so it is a therapy that utilizes this left brain, right brain concept to give you stimulus to both sides of your body. So she gives me little clickers that hold in both hands, and they are on just a battery charger, and it goes, nee, 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 and it buzzes just in your hand. It vibrates, bzz, 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 as you talk with her about what you're processing. The idea is that when you can get places where you're stuck and places where your brain has been in a rut to cross over to the other hemisphere, it begins to process in a more healthy way. And so when you talk through what you're wanting to talk through, be it emotional trauma or relational stress or whatever it is, with this buzzing going on that's just kind of a subconscious thing, your brain is actually processing what you're talking about in a different way. Another way to do it if you don't have the buzzers is what they call a butterfly hug. You cross so that you have input on one side of your body from the other side of your body. Okay, so this is EMDR. Sorry, that's a terrible explanation. If any of you are counselors, I apologize. But this is what I needed to explain to set up what was going on. So that particular day, she and I were doing EMDR and I was talking with her and we were seeking the Lord to give insight to something that was going on with me. And what came to my mind was this picture and this concept of left brain, right brain. But in my, um, in, in my head, heart, imagining as I processed with Janet and the bzz, 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 and the praying with God was that my left brain was hugely bigger than my right brain and it was a bully. My left brain, the analytic side, was just completely controlling my life and telling me what to do and telling, and if something wasn't logical, then it didn't have permission to be part of who I was. And my right brain was just kind of small and shriveled and had no say because everything was just dominated by does this make sense? Is this organized? Is this rational? Is this, is this calm? You know? And as she and I prayed and as we leaned into what is God saying here and what is going on here, the, the, the picture in my mind shifted and the left brain began to get into control and the right brain began to get super colorful. This is why this jumped out at me. Uh, because as I was processing this idea that sometimes, because see, here's the deal. The right brain is the place where we can deal with something holistically. We can, we can understand something that we don't understand. The left brain doesn't understand it because it doesn't, it's not logical. There aren't words for it. It's not linear, one, two, three, and it makes sense. It's not something that we can yet explain. But the right brain isn't afraid of it. The right brain can handle it because it's taking all the input from our world, all the sensory input, all the relational input, and it can sit in the mystery of the fact that this big whole thing is a part of who we are, and the right brain is okay with that. Have I completely lost you, or are we doing okay? Some of you are giving me the glassy-eyed stare. I totally get it. Okay? But one of the ways, this is point two, one of the ways that I have learned to walk in the unknown when my life is at a place where I just really don't see what God is doing and I don't see what I need to do next is to lean into right brain. 
is to lean into drawing or to painting or to knitting or to playing the piano um, or to getting out in nature. Um, whatever just gives my right brain space to breathe and to just be without having to explain itself. The painting that I'm painting doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It's just me allowing my creative side to have a little bit of space because what it does is it counterbalances the fact that I spend a lot of my world in the make a list, get the job done, understand it, be able to explain it side. And so if we're going to be able to walk in the mystery and to survive the seasons of life when we do not understand what is going on and we cannot see what step is next, we're going to have to have tools to lean into the mystery and understand that it's okay. And we're not going to, like, my left brain seriously feels, okay, it feels like it's going to die when I'm doing something in art that doesn't make sense. When I was meeting with my art teacher... She started me paint. She said, pick a picture that you really like and bring a canvas. So I did. And she said, okay, start to paint that picture. So I started to paint the picture. And about week two of lesson, she says, okay, give me the picture that you were working from. What do you mean, give you the picture I'm working from? That's how I'm painting. She says, no, just do whatever you want with that canvas. Ha, does not compute. That is what I'm copying. You will not let me look at it. How am I supposed to do that? Seriously, my left brain was like, just, just get a casket and put me in it. If I can't look at the picture and logically figure out what color I'm supposed to use, what do you want me to do with this canvas? What, what, what? I mean, and it was like, I told her one time, I'm like, you're kind of an art therapist. She says, yeah, but don't say that out loud because I actually don't have a license and I can't claim to be that. Um, but this place, again, it's a little bit like challenging What's your normal way of doing something by leaning into the way that's not necessarily your default? Leaning into right brain. Some of you who are right brained are like, yeah, 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 Jennifer, we know it, we've seen your type, we get it. You need to lean a little more left brain. I'm just saying. Make a list, try it out. The end of the verse and the passage, verse 12. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. So Lord, we see a promise here that we will live in joy and peace, that the mountains and the hills will burst into song, that the trees of the field will clap their hands. God, that the places in our life that are dark, that are not in our control, that are mystery, that are beyond our understanding, will bear fruit, will bloom again, will sing again. God, some of us are sitting in this room and, and we don't really know how to move from the I don't understand to they're gonna break into song. We invite you in. We say, loving Father, precious Jesus, powerful Holy Spirit, come and meet with us. Come and demonstrate your love to us. Come and meet us where our soul needs. God, sometimes we have a neat message with a really nice wrap-up, and, and, and that's not what tonight is. Tonight is the question of how do we walk when we don't understand Would you give us the courage to lean into you when we really don't know what we need from you? And would you fill us with peace 
that you are trustworthy and we don't have to do anything more than that. We're going to have a reflection time. You've got your markers and your paints. You've got this verse, and we're going to play one song. Um, The Reckless Love is the only song we have time for. And I would just invite you to... um, to sit, some of you may just want to read this over and over, not necessarily for understanding and insight and intellect, but just to let it soak into your soul. Some of you may want to flip your paper over and start a new picture. Some of you may want to just sit with your eyes closed and be quiet and let the song soak in. Uh, but I will come back up and close this when the song is over and just take some time to just be reflective, talk with God. Some of you might want to pull out a paper and journal about what you're thinking, but spend a little bit of time with Jesus right now.
gonna climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't He leaves the 99. When you are the one and it doesn't make any sense and you don't feel worthy and you know you're off the path because you stepped off the path or you're off the path because you got knocked off the path by someone else or you're out in the weeds for something that's beyond your control, health, job, some of you are here now in this hard spot. Some of you have been here before in this hard spot. Some of you will be in this hard spot in this future. But when we are in that spot, when we are the one, when it doesn't make any sense, he leaves the 99. And even if you can't feel him, and even if you don't see him, and even if you don't know the path of how he could possibly find you or how you would get back to him, he is not sitting around twiddling his thumbs, waiting for you to find your way out of this, waiting until you understand it. I had a college professor once. She was my Spanish professor. And so for one of my finals, we met at um, the Beanery in Salem and had a conversation in Spanish. And when we finished in Spanish, I asked her if she was a person of faith in English because I didn't know how to have those kind of conversations in Spanish. And we had a great conversation. And what she told me was, she says, oh, I absolutely believe there's a God. I just believe he's so perfect and so holy that I have to get myself cleaned up before I can really approach him. So when I'm clean enough, I will approach God. Friends will never get there that way. He leaves the 99, even though you and I will never be cleaned up enough. And whether that's because of fear or confusion or shame or sin or woundedness or brokenness, it doesn't matter. 
It's all about him. It's not about us. He leaves the 99 to come for you and I. So when you are in that place that life doesn't make sense and it is beyond your understanding, know that he is fighting for you. He is, he is searching for you. He is running after you. He leaves no stone unturned coming after you. And when you can't feel it and you can't believe it, just sigh and say, oh, Jesus, I invite you into the fact that I can't believe that you're even there. <laughs> That's point three, by the way, the breath prayer, which I told you first, so should be point one. Can you all scribble on your notes and make it one, two, three? Thanks for putting up with my right-brained talk tonight. Great to be with you.